0: Well, good morning. Uh, Before I begin this morning, I want to make a comment about my message last week. Um, As we get to know each other, you will discover that I get really excited about the material that I uh, preach about on Sunday mornings. And uh, I think about it all week, and I study, and I'm really excited to share with you. And uh, sometimes I um, try to squeeze too much material that I'm all excited about into one sermon, and that happened last week. And uh, as a result, I ran a little bit over time, and I'm sorry I did that. Um, I'll work hard at not doing that. I better not do it today after saying this. But I uh, want <laughs> you to know I'm aware of that, and uh, I'll be working on that. But, you know, even more importantly than that is sometimes if I try to say too much or go too fast, um, sometimes people might not be able to keep up with me. And I'm sorry about that even more. And uh, so I want you to know that you're all invited to come to cross training and uh, to talk about the sermon. And if you're not able to do that, please call me and I'll get together and talk with you about the message and try to clarify anything that needs to be clarified. It's way too important for us uh, to be able to take home what God wants us to have from the Word of God uh, for us to, to be confused in any way. So, um, so I just want to let you know that I'm uh, real interested in making sure that everybody is with me on our messages, and I'll do everything I can to make that as easy as possible for us to do. So, let's, uh, let's turn our thoughts to the subject for today, and that subject is praying for believers who are suffering for their faith, and uh, I'm going to be taking my message today from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, and uh, so let's pray together as we dig into God's Word together. Thank you, Lord, for the awesome privilege we've had to be taken to your throne in worship today and to focus on how great you are and to express our gratitude for your amazing grace. And I pray now that as we talk about a very important issue that sometimes we in Western churches and in the United States in particular often forget that there are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ across the globe that are suffering for their faith. Help us, Lord, to uh, learn from the Apostle Paul today how we might be able to stand with them in prayer. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this time to encourage us to be diligent in praying for them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide and direct me as I share my heart I pray that you would use your word and that your word would find fertile ground in the hearts of those who listen. It would take root and grow and produce much fruit that lasts. For your honor and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The question for today is, how do we pray for others who are suffering for their faith? Uh, According to the voice of the martyrs, the 20th century, which is the 1900s, witnessed more persecution and more martyrdom than every century previous combined. And the 21st century, the 2000s, are on pace to surpass that. And while we are not experiencing intense persecution and martyrdom in the United States for being a Christian, it doesn't take a sociologist to notice that religious freedom in our nation is eroding. We don't know how far this will go, but already there are Americans in our nation who are suffering because they're taking a stand for their faith. And so as we consider praying for them, let's not forget that This is how we might need to be praying for ourselves as history progresses in the Western Hemisphere. Now, I'd like to share an important perspective on this idea of suffering for our faith. Sometimes God calls believers to suffer for their faith. And we're going to talk about that in cross-training today a specific calling that God specifically guides and directs people into circumstances where they will suffer for their faith. Other times, God allows suffering to come into our lives, uh, like he did for Job, where Job didn't really understand why, but God allowed suffering to go into his life. In both of these cases, it is God's will that believers suffer. And because it is God's will that believers suffer, I suggest to you that it's really important for us to pray for them while they suffer. Now, I've been reading a book by one of my favorite scholars, D.A. Carson, called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. And in this book, Dr. Carson reminds us to avoid two extremes while we pray for those who are suffering For their faith. The first extreme that we must avoid is to pray only that God is sovereign. Now, certainly, God is sovereign. But it's important for us to pray not only that God is sovereign, sovereign, because if we do, then we'll think, well, God is sovereign over everything, and so what good is it going to do for us to pray? These people are suffering, they're going to suffer, that's God's will, so let's not pray. God is sovereign. And the problem with that is that we have apathy for prayer and we neglect our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we don't want to do that. So even though God is sovereign, let's not pray according to the truth that he is only sovereign. He's more than that. But another extreme to avoid that Dr. Carson reminds us of is to pray only that God prayer changes, that that prayer changes things. We've all heard that, haven't we? Prayer changes things, so pray. And while that's true, uh, sometimes we agonize in our prayers and uh, we plead in the name of Jesus and we fast and we gather as many people on our prayer partners uh, so that we can have a, a tsunami of prayer invade heaven and thereby we can wrestle God's answers out of his clenched fist. And... That's an extreme we need to avoid too because God loves us and God does want to answer our prayers. There has to be some type of an approach in between these two extremes, and for that, Dr. Carson suggests for us that we learn how to bring a balance and an integration between God's sovereignty and His willingness to respond to our prayers. And he tells us and he warns us that if we don't do that, our prayers are likely to wobble back and forth between resigned fatalism that asks for nothing and a badgering desperation that exhibits little trust. So how do we do that? Well, I would suggest to you that a good place to start is to pray for believers who are suffering for their faith today just like the Apostle Paul prayed for believers who were suffering in his day. And so in order for us to have a model, that to follow his model, we go back and we learn from the Scriptures, well, just how did the Apostle Paul pray for believers who were suffering for their faith? Many of the churches that Paul planted were conceived in the midst of persecution. And you know from a survey of the book of Acts that that's true. There were lots of riots and there were uprisings and, and people got beaten and flogged by the people around because they were preaching the gospel. And so there was persecution against the believers in the New Testament church. One of those churches is a church at Thessalonica. And their story is recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. And you can read about that sometime if you'd like to. But recorded in his letter to the Thessalonians, to this church that was suffering, Paul models for us how to pray for people who are suffering. And so I'd like to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12 today. And in order to zero in on that text, I'm going to take two sermons uh, to work our way through it. Now, it's very interesting that this text very neatly outlines two specific perspectives. One perspective is found in verse 3. Remember when we talked about ACTS, praying, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication? Well, this passage very neatly divides itself into thanksgiving and supplication. Verse 3, Paul says, We ought always to thank God for you. And so. He offers prayers of thanksgiving to God for the believers. And we're going to talk about this section this morning. But then notice verse 11. Verse 11, he says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. This is the S in Acts, the supplication. And we'll talk about that next week. And as we do... I would like to suggest to you a proposition that brings a balance between thinking only that God is sovereign and thinking only that God, or this thing, I'm sorry, my ear is not big enough to do this, (laughs) only think that that we need to bombard uh, heaven with prayers. And this is the proposition that I'd like to suggest to you when believers are suffering for their faith, let's pray that God would nurture their faith in the midst of their suffering. I think that brings a balance in how we pray for believers who are suffering. Pray that God would nurture their faith in the midst of their suffering. Now, we might ask, why not pray that their suffering would just go away? Well, I think that's a good prayer and I think we have examples of that prayer all over the book of Psalms, don't we? You 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 know the book of Psalms where we cry out, Oh God, how long will you do this? Oh God, release me from this, oh God and people are crying out, Lord, please end my suffering and I think those are good prayers for us to pray for ourselves. But what I'd like to discuss with us this week and next week, how do we pray for others? How do we pray for others around the world who are suffering? And I would suggest that there is much that God wants to do in their lives while they suffer. Therefore, as we see the model that Paul gives in praying for the Thessalonians who are suffering, I think we too can learn how to pray for those who are in the midst of their suffering. So this week, I'd like to take the prayers of thanksgiving that Paul gave for the Thessalonians and see if we might be able to learn how to pray uh, as a result of being thankful for them. And then next week, we'll talk about some specific supplications for those who are suffering. So today, Paul gives us four specific prayers to pray for those who are suffering as he gave thanks to God for them. First, verse three. Pray that God that in their suffering their faith would grow. Pray that in their suffering their faith would go. Look with me at verse three. We had always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more. So Paul is thanking God that their faith is growing more and more. That's an indication that, well, that's a pretty good prayer for us to pray for brothers and sisters in, in Christ who are suffering for their faith. Now, this word faith that is found here in verse 3 means faithfulness or trustworthiness or maybe a little bit better summary would be that, that there, there would be reliability in their faith. That they would be a reliable ambassador for Christ as they suffer. When they go through suffering, our prayer for them is they would be faithful to the gospel and that they would remain reliable in their testimony while they suffer. And indeed, that's what they want. Uh, do you know the name Brother Andrew? Have you ever heard of Brother Andrew? He's a Bible smuggler. Um, He has uh, founded a ministry called Open Doors Ministry. And I read uh, a little bit about him this week. And uh, he summarized for us how he would challenge us to pray for people that he knows in his ministry who are suffering. Listen to what he says. He says, The underground church prays for things Western Christians would never think to pray for, such as strength, to never deny Christ under torture. That's what they want. Pray for us never to deny Christ under torture. In keeping what Jesus command in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, pray for your enemies, the church prays for those who persecute them. And he says, at the top of the North Korean church's list, there's a vibrant church in North Korea, it's underground. At the top of their prayer list is salvation for Kim Jong-un. And they want us to pray for them that their faith would grow, that they would remain reliable in their faith. Throughout, He goes on to say, Throughout the persecuted church around the world, prayer is a fundamental basis of life. An Iraqi refugee in Amman, Jordan, told me, quote, Our prayers are always before God for security, dignity, and for those who persecute us. Those suffering saints are confident that through prayer they can carry their persecutors before the throne of grace, and they know that the Lord can transform them. If that's their desire, that's how we should pray for them. And Paul models it for us. That your faith may be reliable and that it may grow more and more. So let's ask God, as we pray for these believers who are suffering, let's ask God that they would they would grow reliable and that their faith would grow. Secondly, verse 3. Pray that their love for one another would increase. Look at verse 3. He says, Not only will your faith growing more and more, he says, I thank God for the love all of you have for one another is increasing. So Paul is thankful for that. That tells me that that's what we ought to be praying for them about. Pray that the love that they have for one another as they suffer will grow. Now, here I simply remind us of a teaching from Jesus, John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus says, By this, everyone will know my disciples, if you have love one for another. Jesus tells us that um, we can experience the fruit of Christ's abundance as we love one another, and that Love for one another will be a testimony to those around us and to others who are suffering that we are followers of Jesus. I believe that unless God in his grace brings another spiritual awakening to America, which he may do, and we pray for that, but I believe Christian freedom will decrease and difficulties for Christians will increase. And so, therefore, I would suggest that it's important for us to put away any form of discord that there might be among believers. That we might put away any type of resentments or bitterness or unforgiveness. And that we humbly pray and pursue reconciliation with one another not only so that we will find peace and renewed spiritual vitality for ourselves, but more significantly, that the world around us will take notice and they'll say, who are those Christians? Look at the way they love each other. I want to know they're Jesus. And you know, that's what persecuted Christians around the world want. They want their suffering to mean something. And Jesus promised them that as their love for one another grows, the world around them will take notice. So let's pray for our brothers and sisters that their love would abound more and more. Fourth, verse 4. Pray that they would persevere. Look at verse 4. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith, in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. Paul is boasting about their perseverance, and so it follows that an appropriate prayer for us would be that they would persevere. Uh, A few uh, weeks ago, my wife and I uh, sat down on a Friday night, on our Friday night date, it was raining and cold, and we just wanted to stay home. So we rented a movie called Breaking Night, From Homeless to Harvard. Have any of you read that book? It's a book about a young woman named Liz Murray. And uh, her life story and the book that was written in her life story got made into a movie. Liz Murray grew up as a child in New York City uh, with parents, both of whom were drug addicts. And her life was absolute chaos growing up. Because all her parents wanted was another hit on their particular drug of choice. As a teenager, she never went to school. She lived on the streets. Her parents were evicted from apartment after apartment after apartment. And so she would go live alone. She didn't even know where her parents were sometimes. And when she did find them, they would say, oh, honey, we love you. Don't worry, things will get better. And they never did she never went to school and so one day and I don't know how this happened exactly uh, but she had this realization in her life that if she didn't get her act together she was going to become just like her parents so she decided to go back to school and she got involved in a charter school got accepted in a charter school and she a completed four years of high school education in two. She went to a scholarship competition, won a scholarship from the New York Times, got accepted into Harvard, attended Harvard for three years, transferred to a Christian school, or to, a, to another school, and graduated from college. And they made a movie about her life. And after the movie, there was a clip of the real Liz. You know, there was an actress who paid here in the movie. After the movie, uh, there was a clip that showed her. And she gave this story. She said, you know, I'm amazed that they made a movie out of my life. But if my life can be an inspiration to someone else, it will all be worth it. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul said about those who are suffering in Thessalonica. I am boasting about you so that because your testimony is something that I can brag about. Your testimony can be an encouragement to those around you. That's the prayer that we need to pray for those who are suffering. That their testimony can be an encouragement to those around them. Fourth, let's pray that people would rest in God's justice. Particularly, that they might have a future perspective of God's justice. Now, here I want to read verses 5 to 10 for us. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. There's the future perspective, right? He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day of future again, on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. These verses explain the justice and judgment of God. Now, certainly... We don't want anybody to experience the judgment of God. We don't want anybody to end up in hell, do we? God doesn't either. The Bible says that God is not desiring for anyone to perish, but that all come to know the salvation in Christ. But there are enemies of the faith. And there are enemies of the faith that will do whatever it takes to persecute the faith and to persecute those who adhere to the faith. And for those people, it is very, very dark. Christianity Today um, published the testimony of some people who are suffering. And here's what they said. They said, more Christians are killed than are saved from execution at the last minute. More Christians stay locked in prison, beaten and tortured, than are able to walk free, guided by miraculous escape plans. More Christians suffer lifelong deprivation of their most basic civic and economic rights. More converts from Islam give up their faith than stay Christians. And those who remain in the church struggle with lifelong battles with shame, depression, Isolation caused by the loss of ties to their families, communities, and nations. Above all, the average persecuted Christian, there is unanswered prayer, the absence of peace, the absence of strength, the absence of courage, and the absence of joy. How do we pray for someone who has that experience? The Apostle Paul models it for us. He tells us to look to the future. And in the future, there will be vindication for the believers. Verses 6 and 10. They will be vindicated. A central truth of our faith is that Jesus is coming again. (laughs) Remember when we used to sing those songs? Coming again. Remember that? We don't sing about the second coming enough. Jesus is coming, and when he comes, those who are suffering, even those who are just kind of hopeless in their suffering, they will be vindicated. And so as we pray for them, pray for them to have a future perspective. There will be a day when their suffering will end, and Jesus will come and wrap his arms around them, and they will take them with him into glory. That's what we need to pray for them about. But secondly, verses 6 to 10 tells us that there will be judgment for their adversaries. There will be judgment. There must be judgment. God is just. In order for God to be just, there must be judgment. Verse 6, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble us. has to be this way this is not insensitive this is not cruel dr. Carson writes these words the final picture is not a pretty one some people think of hell as a place where sinners will be crying out for another chance begging for the opportunity to repent with God somehow taking on a tough guy stance declaring sorry had your chance too late but the reality is infinitely more sobering. There is no evidence anywhere in the Bible that there is any repentance in hell. The biblical pictures all suggest that evil and self-centeredness persist and persist, and so does the judgment. Men and women wantonly refuse to acknowledge God as God. They will not confess his essential righteousness. They will not own his just requirements. They will not give up their perpetual desire to be the center of the universe. They will not accept that they are guilty of rebellion. They will not accept forgiveness on the ground that God himself makes provision for sinners in the sacrifice of his own son. Verse 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. In a fallen world order, these people once seemed so strong, so inevitably right, so wise. But Christians understand that the final vindication of God's revelation of the claims of the gospel comes at the end of the age when, verse 10, on the day Christ comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at Among all those who have believed, there will be justice. We need to pray that those who suffer can have a future perspective and that they will rest in the knowledge that God is a God of justice. Well, as I close, perhaps you've been pondering, is there any good news in this subject? Is there anything positive in this whole discussion of suffering Christians? I'll continue next week, but I want to close today by reading for you Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. And it says this, Blessed are you when men insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the good news. Meanwhile, let's pray for those who are suffering for their faith, that, their faith may grow and that they may be nurtured in the midst of their suffering. For I believe this is the will of God for us. Shall we pray? Lord, this is a really hard subject for us. We don't like to think that Christians are going to suffer. We sometimes think, well, you, you're going to just remove us from all suffering and life is going to be easy. And No, that's not what the Bible teaches. So I pray that you'd give us a heart for those who are suffering. That we will not neglect them. But that we will pray for them. And then to realize that in the way that we pray for them, someday may be the way that we pray one for another. Knowing, Lord, that we will receive a hundredfold brothers and sisters, and mothers and fathers, and possessions and farms and properties and things in heaven, but with persecutions. May we grow and have our faith nurtured in the midst as well. God, we pray for believers all over the world that you would nurture their faith in the midst of their suffering. For Christ's sake, for the furthering of the gospel, to the glory of God the Father. In his name we pray. Amen.